Mastermind Agent is proud to present Success Calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Dayton Schrader with Remax in San Antonio, Texas. Last year, he closed 605 transactions with a total sales volume of $155 million and a GCI of $4 million. His average sales price was $256,000, of which 45% were buyers and 55% were sellers. Dayton has a 27-member team, one operations manager, four business development, eight transaction coordinators, one property manager, five buyer agents, two photographers, one stager, one bookkeeper, one marketing, one runner, one executive assistant, and one team leader. Dayton is the team leader of the Schrader Group. He's been an agent for 36 years and works the Metro San Antonio market. In this call, Dayton talks about his slow start in real estate, selling five homes his first year, how he slowly built up his practice by working his sphere of influence, recognizing that referral partners could each send two to five referrals per year, building a VIP referral partner program with 250 professionals that resulted in 300 closings last year, why he likes to host big and small events, his belief in the law of reciprocity and how it works with referrals, scripts to use when initiating and following up with his referral partners, how he became a problem solver and a fixer for new home builders that resulted in over 200 closings last year, Common problems builders experience and how you can profit by solving them. Why he personally lists 20 homes each month and tracks his P&L monthly. Team dynamics, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Dayton. Thank you very much, Mike. I'm excited about doing this. Uh, Dayton, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Wow. So I uh, grew up in San Antonio, Texas, went to Texas A&M University. I never cracked a book in high school, so I flunked out of Texas A&M University and was sent home in about 18 months with my tail between my legs. And that was probably one of the lowest points in my life. Uh, I was talking to my high school golf coach when I got back to San Antonio, and he mentioned his wife running a real estate office here and said I should go visit with her. So I went and spoke to her, and she said, oh, Dayton, you'll love real estate. You'll be really good at it. And I said, really? And she said, yeah, sign here. So that was my (laughs) introduction to real estate. I never knew what a real estate agent was. I grew up in my grandparents' house that they'd owned since 1954. So we didn't look at a lot of houses. We didn't move. And so that was all very new to me, but I thought, well, I needed to do something. And so that was January of 1982. The first house I sold was Super Bowl Sunday, 1982. Nobody else wanted to work that day, and I was low man. And so I've been at it ever since. So this is now 36 years for me in the business. Wow. Now, you must have been really young when you got started. How old were you? I was 21. I joined Remax on my 21st birthday in 1982. I started in January of that year, and that first office closed. About as soon as I got my license and put it up on the wall, that office closed, and I joined the REMAX office, and that was May 1st, uh, 1982. And do you recall that first year, did you have a fast start or a slow start? I had a horribly slow start. Uh, Interest rates were 16 or 17 percent, and they went up. Uh, I didn't know anybody. All my friends were still in college, uh, or certainly not well enough off to be able to buy a house. And so I was always trying to sell to somebody that was 10, 12, 15 years older than I was. The economy was brutal in San Antonio. I was just too broke to go anywhere else, and this was home. 
So I had to find a way to stick it out. And I struggled and struggled and struggled for many, many years. People were really nice to me when I was a nobody. And so that was helpful. And I was around some good producers and some good agents. So I sponged off of them as much as I possibly could. They let me do open houses for them. And I sat phone duty and did all the traditional things that you had to do to make a living if you didn't have a database or any referral partner. But I really struggled for several years, six, seven, eight years, I think, at least. That first year, how many homes do you think you sold? Oh, I might have sold five or six. I mean, I was I was the true pro forma starting real estate agent. No money in the bank, barely getting by. And the average price in San Antonio back then might have been sixty or $70,000. So if you were lucky enough to sell a house, you made a whopping $2,000 commission, maybe 2500 bucks, and then you had to flip that with your broker. So there wasn't a whole lot left over, and there certainly wasn't anything left over to pay taxes or anything else. So it was, it was an ugly start. What was the change? What happened that turned that around for you? What year was that, and what happened? Well, it was, it was a series of things. So as the market keeps getting worse and worse, I figured it was the perfect time to get married. So I went ahead and got married, <laughs> and I thought at that point, I got to do something. And so I went to, back then there was the RTC. They'd taken over all the properties, and there were savings and loans prior to that. And I thought, well, I've got all this property management experience, flip experience, rehab. I'd sold all these junky little houses. thought perhaps I could get on with them because I had that skill set that they needed. The only problem was I didn't have a college degree, so nobody would talk to me. And so I thought, well, I'll go to our local university and make up for my wasted time at A&M. And they laughed at me. So I had to go to a junior college and I made up for all my transgressions at Texas A&M and, uh, and then went back to the university and they finally let me in. And all the time I'm still selling real estate, but I'm getting a little bit older, getting a little bit smarter. Now I'm married. So I've got somebody that I've got to be responsible for instead of just myself. And so things started kind of breaking my way. And I've always just had this kind of Forrest Gump existence in real estate, right place, right time. Again, people very nice to me when they didn't have to be. And so I got a little bit better at it. And I earned an accounting degree from UTSA, but I just kept selling real estate. And that connection gave me a tremendous number of opportunities. I met you know, through the Alumni Association and through the faculty and staff at the university, and then other connections that I had acquired over the years and started to stack up we started to kind of get that snowball effect of it moving forward. You said it was really challenging in the beginning, that first year, five or six homes, uh, and that was great for a couple of years. What kept you going? Why did you keep moving forward? Well, I, I really thought it was a great industry. I did love the business itself, and I didn't really have any other skills. I didn't have, I wasn't an engineer. I wasn't an accountant at that time. I had nowhere else to go. So I didn't have a whole lot of option or opportunity that I thought was what I wanted to do. And so I thought, well, I'll just hang out. And my friends that I had made in the real estate business got to be really close friends. And that's kind of what we did. And we all kind of rose and fell with the market and hung out together and struggled together and played together. And, and so those were the only people I knew, the only friends I had. So I thought I might as well just, just hang in there. It sounds like you got a break. Did you start working with the RTC? Is that what kind of changed things and started to get the volume going? No, I couldn't get on with them because I didn't have a degree. There were opportunities as a result of that. I mean, the inventory in San Antonio was decent, and things were starting to pick up a little bit. And then we had a big corporate relocation to San Antonio in the late 80s from Corpus Christi, and that kind of gave our economy a bump. And then in the early 90s, Southwestern Bell moved here from St. Louis. And then they acquired Pac Bell and Bell South and, and AT and T. And so San Antonio was just booming in the early nineties up until nine eleven. And we were on a roll. And so we had tremendous growth, tremendous job growth, great in migration, and I was just at the right place at the right time. My friends were old enough now to have jobs and be getting married and having babies and, and so I rode that wave for twenty or twenty five years of the typical life cycle of a real estate agent and with a database and a sphere of influence and, and taking good care of them over the years. And I just really enjoyed that run for quite a while. Let's fast forward to today. How many years have you been in real estate now? So this is 36 years for me. This is all I've ever done as an adult. 
And how many homes did you sell last year? What was the sales volume and your GCI? So last year, we helped about 450 families buy and sell 600 houses in San Antonio. We did $155 million in sales, and we did just a little over $4 million in gross commission income. And people are going to hear that, and they're going to think, well, wait a minute, 400 families and 600 houses, how's that work out? Closer to 450 families, but a lot of local moves where they have a house to sell and a house to buy. And so we get a fair amount of it. There's still quite a bit of inbound reload. There are people that do sell and leave San Antonio where it's just a one-off transaction. But because of my good fortune and the database that I've cultivated for years, we get a lot of um, double, you know, two transactions out of folks. How many homes have you sold in your career and what's been the sales volume? Over 4,000 homes and maybe closer to five now and over a billion dollars in sales. Wow. So you're a billion dollar agent. Yes. I never really thought of it that way, but yes. <laughs> That's we, fantastic. We added up and, and, and so. Did you ever add up the GCI over all those years? Well, I, you know, I've been with Remax for all these years. So at Remax, you get a plaque for everything and they give you milestone plaques for a million dollars in commission and three million and 10 million. And a uh, year before last, I got my $20 million luminaries of distinction award for 20 years with Remax and at least $20 million in commission. And that was a couple of years ago. So I'm probably north of 25 million total commissions over the years. Wow, that is fantastic. Thank you for sharing. Now, you mentioned you're in uh, San Antonio. For people that don't know, could you tell us where San Antonio is? We're South Central Texas, uh, San Antonio. Uh, we're having our 300th anniversary as a city this year. The home of the Alamo, most people know, San Antonio Spurs. There's about a million four in our city, a million seven in the county, and about two million people in the total surrounding area, the SMSA. And how's the market there? Has it been going up, down, flat? Tell us a little bit about the market. Average sales price? It's been very good. We've been very blessed. We have uh, the most robust economy we've ever had, the most diverse economy we've ever had. We are in a lot of different sectors. We have a big military-industrial complex, over 100,000 defense-related jobs here in San Antonio, a big cyber community. Obviously, there's a lot of retail and services that support all of that. We've got a big biomedical community, a large uh, university hospital system, and also a big retired population here in San Antonio. A lot of military, retired military, financial services, health support, things like that. So it's a good service-based economy, a lot of tourism, and we're the seventh largest city in the country. So we quit acting like this little bitty mom-and-pop town that we were when I was a child and actually turned into the seventh largest city in the country and started acting like it. So we're, we're doing well right now. We've been very blessed. Let's talk about lead generation and getting business. What are your top three lead sources for business? But number one has always been my database. Once I got involved in coaching and, and went to a Joe Stump seminar back in 1995, the light went on over my head and I realized how important it was to take care of my database. And, and at that moment, uh, I learned about before, during, and after, and the reticular activator and Fred the Head and turbulence in the airplane and all those metaphors and how important it was to have a referral-based business and how much more fun that was than phone duty or open houses, or this is before the internet for the most part. Uh, we didn't have to deal with any of that back then. So uh, that really made a lot of sense to me and to deal with people that know you, like you, and trust you. So I went all in once I came back from that seminar and I took my home number off my business cards. I, I quit taking phone duty. I quit doing open houses and I was determined to make it work off my database and my sphere of influence and did really well with that population for a long time. The next biggest part of my business is now that my sphere of influence or my peers have kind of timed out on buying and selling houses, they're not moving at the same rate they did for the last 25 or 30 years. But for the most part, they're all still working. I'm, I'm 57, so I know those people now that are all empty nesters, but they can't quit working. They still need to take care of their retirement. They've got weddings to pay for and cars to pay for and kids to take care of and college to pay for. So they're still working. They're at the highest point of their career and the most influential they'll ever be in their lifetime. And even though they may not need me as a principal, 
to buy or sell their house, or certainly not at the rate that they did the last 25 years, they're in a great position to influence and refer. And so I've really worked on my VIP list and my referral partners to generate that extra business. VIP list and referral partners. So is that a subgroup in your sphere of influence? Yes, and they get their own treatment and their own schedule and things like that. So that includes the gifting that we do to them, the happy hours that we do. I spend a lot more time on those people because I've I've identified them properly, vetted them properly. They could send me two to five transactions a year. Instead of a client that's going to move every five, seven years, or now maybe every 10 years, I really want to work with people that have the opportunity or the capacity to send me two or three transactions a year. And that's the about the only thing I've got going for me is that I've cultivated those relationships and pursued those people for many, many years. So I've got a stable of 150 to 200 people that will send me two to five transactions in a year. <laughs> that creates a great business. I've been very blessed. How big is your overall sphere of influence, your overall database? How many people are in there? Oh, there's thousands in the database, but I don't mail to thousands because there's no way I could possibly be in relationship with that many people. And so we do mail to a thousand people every month that are previous clients, people that I've actually been principals that are local and that we had a good transaction. We took care of them. We felt like they were a good fit for us. Because there's sometimes where we're we're certainly not perfect. There are deals we mess up and we don't do as well as we should. And that's embarrassing. And there are people that you don't get along with. You don't care for them or you don't share values with them. And so you're as a professional, you'll finish the transaction and get it done. But then probably not a relationship you want to pursue after that. But the ones that we do, we keep that right around a thousand. And then I've got another 250 people that I really pursue that are industry and non-industry professionals that are the ones that I, I really take care of that are the ones that can send me more business. And just so I understand, you said the whole database, I'm trying to give people a big picture. So the whole database itself, how many people in there? You said a couple thousand? I mean, just total names in top producer. Yeah. Eight to 10,000. But those are, okay. those are people that, whose names were entered, entered one time because they were assistant to the closer at the title company or a sign call or an internet hit that we captured that never called us back. So we're very careful about not wasting time mailing or pursuing those relationships. And then you took that huge list of eight or 10 and you've reduced it to a thousand people that you got a great relationship with, that you get along well with, you have a connection with. You said you share values, and those are the people that you're going to go out and market to each month. You mentioned, uh, I think, a mail piece once a month. Is that correct? Yeah, so we mail to them every month. We invite them to client events. We'll do, I've done a stand-up party for years at my home. We invite clients to that. We'll do, we have a double-A baseball team in San Antonio, so we'll have a night with the missions baseball team, and we'll invite clients to that. We do several movie events a year where we'll get 100 to 150 people to a movie. So just recently we did the Avengers movie and had over 150 people come to that event. I talked to a lot of people, they throw all these people in the database, but they don't know how to do what you did, which is the second step. How do you reduce it to the subset, this thousand? Did you go through and do it one at a time while you were putting them in? Do you go and filter it out once a year? How do you reduce it down to these high quality people that you want to work with? Well, and I'd love to tell you that I'm in a relationship with a thousand people, and there's no way I could possibly do that. A better number is probably four or five hundred, but I just, having lived here all my life and been in business for as long as I have, it's a little bit bigger than it probably should be. But we're very intentional. Once we close the transaction out, we'll decide at that moment, okay, was this a good connection? Was it a good transaction? And is this somebody we want to continue to chase? for a variety of reasons, because there are transactions where you sell a house, it's an estate sale, or somebody's leaving town and you don't think you'll ever see them again. Well, we'll certainly email those people, but I'm not going to waste a lot of money mailing to them. And so we do review the transaction after the closing, determine what category they're going to fit in. Are there any other contact types that we can align them with? And then is this somebody we want to pursue or not? And so we continue to top grade that list. And there are times where 
we'll mail everybody first class a couple of times a year just to see how many bounce backs we get. And unfortunately, there are people that transfer their affection to another realtor or they move into a realtor or somebody in their family becomes a realtor and you lose that client, you know, maybe for a lifetime, maybe for three or four years until that person gets out of the business again. And I've had that happen uh, where somebody comes back after their spouse got out of the business or their brother or sister. And so those things happen. So you got to keep top grading and continue to prospect all the time to refresh that list. Do you have a name for the thousand? Is that your VIP group? No, goodness no. That is my database. My VIP group is the 250. Now the 250, uh, did you say that those are industry folks or these are your top referrals? Who's in the 250? So these are industry and non-industry professionals. That's a term we use. They are CPAs, financial planners, bankers, lawyers, people in the building and construction business, our trades and vendors, title, mortgage, all of those people. And some are in our business, mortgage, title, inspectors, appraisers, uh, and some not in our business, the financial planners and those people. But I work really, really hard with those groups and prospect like crazy in those groups because they have the capacity to refer us. And when an attorney or a CPA or a financial planner puts their arm around you and says, this is my guy, he'll take great care of you, do whatever he says, the, the closing percentage goes up dramatically as opposed to just a client or a, certainly way better than any sign call or internet hit. In that 250 VIP list, this is not your past client list. This is a group of people that you feel are high referral sources. Some of them have been principals. Some of them I've actually done business with. But for the most part, uh, I would say less than half of those are people that I've actually done a specific transaction with. How did you put together this group? Did you go out and intentionally target this group or did you create a database of just these types of folks? How did this come about, this VIP group? Coaching that I'm involved in and in just looking at the the math and realizing that as my constituency ages out, they're not going to do as much business anymore. And I trip to the fact that while they're not, they don't necessarily buy or sell houses at the same rate, they certainly have the capacity to refer. And I probably, probably just fell into it. All of a sudden, a CPA or a financial planner, somebody says, hey, I got somebody for you. And I think, well, that was pretty easy. Let me go get another one of those. And I think anybody listening to this call probably has two or three people in their stable that send them a couple of deals a year. And all I've done is take that from two to five to 10 to 20 to a bigger number. But if you get one or two people that'll send you that, you can get four or five. And if you get five, you can get 10. You just have to be very intentional about it, hang in there long enough and really go pursue them. Tell me about how you are adding people to this group. Did you go out and purchase a list of these people and then you pick a few each day and you you prospect them? Did you work in their circles by joining the same groups they joined? How are you adding these referring partners to your list, to your group? I got involved in organizations where they would be present. I didn't buy any lists. I go meet them one at a time and see if we're a good fit ask them to be introduced to somebody else. And I learned this from Joe Stump years ago. He told a story about, I think he was a speaker, and somebody in that industry, and he got a list of people and said, who do you else do you know? He talked to somebody and said, Mike, I really enjoyed visiting with you. You've been fantastic. I really appreciate your time. Who else do you know on this list that you could introduce me to? I mean, I'd be so grateful. And you would look at that list and say, well, I know this guy and this guy. And well, would you mind making a phone call or an email and introducing us? No, no problem. Happy to. I'll set you up on LinkedIn, I'll Facebook, or I'll just pick up the phone and call him. Well, then that's all he did was go up and down that list until somebody introduced him to somebody else. And he went through that entire list. I thought that was a great lesson. And so I would pick a constituency like financial planners. And I went to a luncheon without a wingman, just by myself thinking, okay, I'm going to see how this goes. And sat at a table with a bunch of other sales guys just like me. And they like to talk, and I like to talk, and so we can tell some stories and see if we're a good fit. And the next thing you know, 
something comes out of that and then you get introduced to somebody else and you show up again at the next lunch and you do it again. And, and I've done that now for many, many years. So we've grown it and grown it. So an agent listening who wants to go down this path, what do you recommend the first step be? Uh, I love Jack Welch. He's a great, great business icon. And in one of his books, he said, if you don't have a competitive advantage, don't compete. So the flip side of that is, if you do have a competitive advantage, you've got to exploit that. So for anybody listening to this podcast, you've got to decide, where do I have a competitive advantage? Certainly in your database, in your sphere of influence, but whether it's an alumni association or a charity or some constituency where you share values with them, maybe even shared sacrifice, that's the best if you've got shared sacrifice, but at the very least, shared values, shared interest. So if you have uh, either through a corporate alumni association or an affinity group or something that you care about or have some connection to, then obviously that's the first place to go. Now, they've got, again, have the capacity to refer you if you align with the wrong group and they just don't do that or they don't know the right people. That's, that's, that's a waste of time. But if you're intentional about it, strategic about the associations that you keep, then it'll bear a great deal of fruit. Whether it's an alumni association, I've been very fortunate with a couple of good alumni associations and that are good brands to be aligned with, and then the financial planners and, and things like that. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Now, once you've put together this group and you're, you're starting to build it out, yours is now at 250, it's going to be smaller. It sounds like you have a marketing plan that you're using, say, an annual marketing plan on how to make sure that you stay in front of those folks and you're talking with them. Can you tell us what you do over the course of a year to stay in front of these VIP referral partners and how you're making these referrals happen? So we've got a schedule and a checklist and a routine for everything that we do. So in that group, I've got birthdays, anniversaries. I know their hobbies. I know their favorite restaurant. We've collected all about U-forms from almost all of them. And if they're not willing to do that, they don't want to play the game, then that's probably not a relationship we're going to pursue. We'll find somebody else that does want to play the game. And I'll go to their events. I'll volunteer. I'll support their charities. We call them. We gift them. We invite them to happy hours, buy them books. I want to be a resource for them, and I'm willing to, and at this point now, fortunately, have the, have the wherewithal to pour into them first. And there are people that are takers, and you'll pour into them and give and give and give, and they'll never reciprocate. And after a while, you just recognize the fact that they're just not that into you, and you might as well go on down the road. And that happens every once in a while. But most people are pretty good, and the law of reciprocity says that if you take good care of people and are really nice to them and do things for them, eventually they'll give back to you. Aha. The old idea of give first, get later. Yes. Giver's game. We got that from Rapport Leadership. I learned that from uh, Robert Cialdini in the book Influence, one of my all-time favorite books, is about one of the principles of influence is reciprocity and taking care of people, giving first, and that's one of our philosophies at the core. You said you give them an all-about-you form. When does that come into this process? Early on? Very early on. So I'll do that with all of our clients, with buyers and sellers. We have that form. And then also with these potential referral partners, we collect those. And that's a good litmus test. If they're willing to do that and kind of surrender to the process, you think, well, this is somebody that at least is open to the conversation. If they roll their eyes, God, come on, I don't want to do that. and They don't want to play that game. You know what? They're probably not a good fit and time to go on down the road. It's possible you might win them over and they're just having a bad day or certain circumstances. But generally speaking, you just got to turn the page and get on to the next one. You mentioned you put together a schedule checklist, but you have a schedule for these VIPs. Is your goal to make a certain number of contacts either per month or per year? 
And then tell us more about what those are. So you gave us a, a list of different things that you do. For instance, how often do you want to make a phone call to them? I would like to talk to them at least once a quarter, if not more often. Okay. In that quarterly call, could you give us an example of the script that you would use? What are you calling them about? Hey, Mike, I just wanted to check in with you. Do you have a minute? Sure. Great. We're at the midway point of the year. How was the first half of 2018 for you? You know, it was really good. We're, we're really kicking along. Everything's going the way we want. Fantastic. We're going to have a conversation about business, and we're going to have the old family occupation, recreation, dreams conversation. And so we might talk about your summer trip or what your plans are. I can't believe the kids are that old or how's business and what are you working on and have you hit your numbers for the first half of the year? And at the end of it, it's going to be, I love working with you. You've been a great referral partner. I'm so grateful for all that. Is there anything I can do for you? Anything you need? I'm good right now. Fantastic. I just read 10X by uh, Grant Cardone. I want to send you a copy of that book. I know you're a book guy. And if you haven't read it, I want to share it with you. It's a spectacular book. Oh, yeah, I've been wanting to look at that. Fantastic. And so I'll write a note in that book and send it to you and a thank you note for your time. Or don't forget, we got a happy hour coming up, or I'd love to see you at, you know, a barbecue or some event. So I've got some agenda on that call, but I don't necessarily have to ask you for a deal. I have to just say, if we're in relation, you already know what I do, and hopefully I've already delivered for you in the past. So now this is just a top-of-mind follow-up call to make sure that you don't feel like I'm taking you for granted or uh, that make sure everything else is going okay in your world. So you're not specifically asking for a referral four times a year. You're simply staying in front of them to make sure they remember you're there. Correct. And you're offering value. Absolutely. There are 11,000 realtors in San Antonio. We're minting 200 every month. And so I have no illusions about the fact that they know six to 10 other realtors in whatever business or capacity they're in. Everybody knows at least that many. So I want to make sure that I'm on their Rolodex in the number one spot or the number two spot if something happens to the number one person and that I follow up better, more consistently, and I'm there for them. You've mentioned several times that you have a lot of different events. You mentioned happy hours and barbecues. You've mentioned the client events at the end of the year, like the Santa party, the baseball. There, there's a lot going on. It sounds like you're doing that intentionally. You have a lot of events going on throughout the year so that you can invite these folks to that event, and that gives you a reason to call them. Absolutely. And so we get an opportunity to invite them. And even if they don't show up, that builds some goodwill. Certainly, if they're there, it's a great opportunity to visit with them. And then a follow-up call, either sorry we missed you or thank you very much for being there. Just want to give back to you. We really appreciate everything you've done for us. And so it's an opportunity to say thank you and connect with them in a little bit more relaxed environment. And then, for an example, with our Santa party, inevitably, somebody that has two- and three- and four-year-old kids that wants to come have milk and cookies with Santa Claus knows a bunch of other families that have two- and three- and four-year-old kids. and Every time they'll say, these are my friends and they're in the market to buy a house. We told them all about you or my friends are going to call you next week. And so it almost automatically pays for itself in the next 30 or 45 days with a very warm introduction and referral and endorsement. How many events do you have scheduled per year, per month? Oh, we'll do uh, at least one happy hour a month. We will do two or three movie events a year, the Missions Baseball, Santa Party, and then I'll have some other smaller events that are exclusive to a a particular population. So we'll invite people from a company or people from this association where it's just, there's not a general happy hour, but it's more industry specific or group specific. And if I've already got it in a population of 10 or 15 or 20 people that might come to a happy hour, If I've got three or four or five of them that have sent me a transaction already, that's great social proof. So I can stand up in front of that group and say, I want to thank it. Specifically, I want to thank these three people for having sent us some business in a year. And I'm so grateful. And again, you get that endorsement, that social proof among their peers, and the phone rings again. Uh, That is fantastic. Now, the VIP program, what percentage of your business is that? What's the result? Oh, my goodness. 
uh, hang on one second, I think for a minute, 50% or wow. so. Yes. Wow. So in last year, that's 300 transactions out of 250 people. Yes. So you've, instead of going wide like a lot of folks try to do, you've gone deep. Yes. And so, and, I, and I've seen that happen where people mail to three, four, five thousand people, and it's just white noise. And, and yeah, a thousand is still too many, I will admit. However, I, I can actually defend some of those names, most of those names on my list. But the real money for me, especially at my age, where most realtors are starting to kind of wind down or their practice slows, no matter how good you've been, no matter how great you've taken care of your clients, no matter how much you've loved on them, if they're not moving anymore, they don't need you. And so to continue to grow and build our business, I've got to get those referral partners. I've got to get those leveraged relationships. And that's what's enabled us to continue to grow at the pace we're growing. Otherwise, we just kind of flatline. And then eventually our business would just erode down to a very small amount. And I'm just not ready to do that yet. Well, I'd like to switch topics here real quick. I want to stay on lead generation, but I understand that you do quite a bit of new home construction. Is that true? Yes. Yes. I work with a bunch of builders here in San Antonio. We're very fortunate. We've got a very robust new home construction group in San Antonio. What percentage of your business do you think that is? 30 to 40%. Wow. So it's a good chunk of business. And you said you're working with several builders. How many builders are you working with? 25 to 30, typically, at various levels of relationships. What's the typical builder size? How many homes are they putting out a year? Oh, the, the smaller ones will be 50 starts a year, maybe a little bit less. The majority of them are 200 to 500 starts a year. Wow, okay. So you're not doing all their business. You're doing a part of their business. Correct. And how does that work? Give us an idea. If somebody is not familiar with the new home construction side of the business, what's the relationship? between you and the builder? I am a problem solver and a fixer. And so I will do whatever they need for me to do, whether it's MLS support or contingencies or uh, orphan specs when they're closing out a neighborhood or we'll do houses that they have to buy one back. Every once in a while, somebody will build a bad house or a busted slab. We'll go in and help them with, with those issues. Uh, we had one builder who had a retaining wall collapse here in San Antonio years ago, and they ended up having to buy back about 20 houses. And so we were able to help them sell all of those houses or most of those houses when they ended up buying them back. And so I want to be on their Rolodex as someone they can call and rely on to help them get their home sold in whatever they need. So you're not working on the front end where they're marketing the, the whole subdivision at once. You're coming in and, and picking up little pieces of business, as you said, where there are problems and you're solving that particular problem and, and getting that particular sale. Correct. So we're just kind of nibbling on the corners. Typically, those builders all have their own marketing department. They have their own sales force, on-site sales reps. And in Texas, the on-site sales reps are typically not licensed. And so they've got all that infrastructure already in place. What they do need is the additional marketing, the additional leverage, the brand that we bring, and then the wherewithal to, to get some of these other deals done. And so that's, again, as, as a problem solver and a fixer, that's the role we play there. I want to be a great subcontractor for those people. I'm curious, how did you position yourself with the builder when you make that initial contact? Do you walk in, shake their hand and say, hi, I'm a fixer? <laughs> how do you get that thing set up? Well, back to that Forrest Gump experience, one of my colleagues in, in a REMAX office that I went in was working with a builder, and he was getting ready to retire. And I went down the hall and said, I've always admired you and respected you, and I would love to talk to you about buying your practice. And he said, oh, gee whiz, Dayton, I don't really have anything to sell, but I tell you what, you can come to this builder meeting with you, and I'll introduce you to these guys, and, and you can take over this. And... Just that did just that. Hey guys, I'm getting ready to retire. Dayton's your new guy. He's going to take great care of you. Thank you very much. And he walked out the door and they all were staring at me and I had to figure it out. And so that was my first opportunity 
to work with a builder, and we busted our tail and made it happen for them. And uh, then one guy went to another builder, and I picked up their business, and I followed them to these different builders, and it's just fired into this this part of my practice. And I've done that now for 20-plus years. I've been working really hard with builders here in San Antonio, the Builders Association, and been very invested in that community. If an agent listening wanted to break into the builder business in the way that you have, what do you recommend that they do? Well, I would go back to making sure they've got the other the fundamentals in place first. They've really got their database squared away. Are they taking care of their current clients and their process? And then look to add something else. I think too many people skip that step and they want to go jump from being a $3 million agent to a $50 million agent. They're not willing to do the work in between. So I would make sure they've got their VIP list right, their database right, make sure it's something they really want to do because not everybody wants to have that much capital on the table and have that many people on the payroll and have that much fixed overhead. So you got to decide, is that what I really want first and foremost? And then if it is, it's fantastic. I mean, I love working with these guys because they absolutely have to sell houses. Everything else is discretionary. Builders build houses to sell them. And so I love being aligned with people that are already halfway home because everybody else, well, I don't have to buy a house if I don't want to, or I don't have to sell if I don't get the right number. The builders have to sell their product. So that's one of the reasons I love them. And then you got to vigorously pursue it. And it takes years to consistently deliver and because everybody's nibbling on their ear and talking to them saying, give me a deal, give me a deal. But to actually cultivate those relationships over three, five, 10, 20 years, it takes time. And you got to be willing to do whatever it takes to make that deal happen because they don't care about how hard the deal was. They want to know that you got it done, pure and simple, and you got it done on time. And they don't want to hear any whining afterwards about how difficult the client was or what the circumstances were, how much of a haircut you took. That's not what they want to hear. Sure. They're in the results business. Absolutely. You mentioned getting things done, and you also mentioned overhead. I understand you have a pretty good-sized team, I think 27 people. Could you do us a, a favor and walk down real quickly a big idea, uh, the big structure of who's on the team? So we're looking for titles and what they're responsible for. So I have an operations manager, and she is my first line of defense. I have a marketing lady who handles our websites, internet, database, sphere of influence marketing, some social media and things like that. I have six transaction coordinators that handle the process and underwrite all the files. So from the minute somebody holds their hand up as a buyer or a seller, they're assigned to one of the transaction coordinators who are all licensed. And they do the initial contact. They do the client interview. They close the appointment. They get the pre-listing package out. They do the market analysis. They tee everything up. They send out the the pre-listing videos and all that process before I go on the listing appointment. I have a a full-time bookkeeper who's been with me 17 years, uh, receptionist. We have uh, business development ladies that help me out with my referral partners. And got two people in my property management department. I've got a young man who's my signed lockbox runner guy. Got uh, two photographers in-house and a stager in-house. I got tired of paying for third-party photography and expedite fees and cancellation fees and whatever. And so I thought for the kind of money I'm spending on photography and the standard to which we are held in this day and age is pretty high. So by the time you're paying 150 to $200 a house and we're listing 25, 30 houses a month, that started to add up. And so I thought, well, I'll just bring a photographer in-house and get a wholesale price. And so I did that. And then he's also a licensed agent, so it doesn't hurt my feelings if he sells a house every once in a while, but his passion is photography. My other lady's passion is staging. And again, I was paying for third-party staging and cancellation fees and expedite fees and and this and that and the other. And I thought, I could just bring that in-house at this volume and have a little bit more control over the process and the client experience. And so, so far, that's turned out to be a pretty good experiment. As far as uh, sales staff, do you have buyer agents, listing agents? Yes, I have five buyer's agents that live on my inventory and sign calls and internet hits. And then they also have, they have their own lead generation responsibility too. So their database 
their sphere of influence, plus our excess leads and, and so on. And who's taking all the listings? I go on a lot of listing appointments. A good week for me is, is six to eight listing appointments. And so my other, my other people can absolutely go get a listing. I certainly don't hold that back from them. If they're in relationship with somebody, then I absolutely want them to go get a listing. But I go on a, a lot of the appointments. Anything that's referred to us, I'll go on almost all those appointments, unless I'm doubled up or out of town or something like that. That means you're listing personally about 25 to 30 homes a month? Probably 20 or so. I'll go on 25 to 30 listing appointments. We don't get them all. Some people are misfires. Some people will go with somebody else for whatever reason, higher price, better rap. You know, we don't get them all. We get a fair number, and then my people will bring in the balance of those listings. So we're right now, we're right on track year to date and averaging not quite 30 listings a month so far this year. And so we're right on our plan for 2018 on closings year-to-date through the end of June and listings year-to-date through the end of June. You mentioned, I think you said you have maybe four business development folks. What do they do? They call on my builders, my on-site reps, my CPAs, financial planners. They are a little bit in the office and quite a bit out in the field helping create those opportunities for us. Other businesses, other teams, they might call the ISA, an inside sales agent. Are your folks licensed? They are not licensed. They are not speaking to the principals. They are only speaking to referral partners. So they do not interact with an actual buyer or a seller, which they're not supposed to do in Texas anyway. So I don't have them chasing leads. They don't answer the phone on any inbound calls. So my understanding of an ISA is they're capturing all the Zillow leads or all the inbound calls and and then handing them off to whoever's available or whatever their rotation is. I don't have that person. One of my buyer's agents gets all the Zillow leads, pure and simple. He's really good at that. And that was one of the one of the things he brought to the table when he joined our team was he's a good social media guy, a good Zillow guy. I've never been a good social media or a good Zillow guy. I had a lot of listings. So it was a very good match for us. I didn't need him. He didn't need me. It was a really good setup. One of my other guys gets all the sign calls and other leads that are not Zillow. He gets Realtor.com and some of the other internet stuff, but not the Zillow stuff. And he's done that now for me for 12 years. He's really, really good. It works as hard as anybody I've ever met in the real estate business. A great buyer's agent. And uh, But my business development people call on the referral partners, not on principals. Are you profitable? Yes. No, we're very blessed. We, we, do, we do really well. And so we range in the high 30s to right around 40% profit. And we keep a close eye on that number. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's a good number, especially at that volume. Well, I, again, I, I've, I've mentioned a couple times, part of it is the coaching program I'm involved in. We are all about a P&L every single month because we get caught in that trap of gross revenue, gross commissions, and all the plaques that come with that. And the real number is how much money did you make taxable and how much money did you save? And so I've been involved in this program now for 17 years, and they just beat that into us over and over and over again about running a tight P&L and making sure you're saving money and, and giving money back. Which program is this? You've referred to the coaching program several times. What are you talking about? So I was involved in buy referral only back in the mid-90s, and one of the tapes that I got with the Joe Stump, who I'll always be grateful to, was a guy named Rick Ruby. And he just thundered about how bad realtors were and realtors didn't pay their taxes and realtors didn't do a P&L and realtors were maxed out on their credit cards. And I just thought, man, this guy's been reading my diary. I had been through <laughs> all of those things. I had, I'd received certified letters from the IRS. I'd been in debt. I'd been maxed out on the credit card and I would not wish that on anybody. And so at that point I was doing okay. I was probably 10, $12 million agent. And I knew he was going to be at a seminar in Houston. So I grabbed a buddy and I said, we got to go see this guy. It really spoke to me. And so I met him. Rick was there, and he was a speaker for Joe Stump at the time and a coach. And he came off stage, and I said, I've heard your tape, and you were talking to me. And it was like being in church when you know the pastor is just speaking directly to you no matter what else is going on. It was just one of those moments. And he said, look, I'm getting ready to leave by referral, and I'm going to open up my own company called The Core, and we're going to concentrate on 
high-end coaching, high, um, high accountability coaching for lenders and realtors. And I said, I surrender, I'm in. So I got involved in that program. That was 2001. And I went from 12, 15 million to last year we did 155 million. Gone from a three-person team, there was a bunch of people running around with their hair on fire, no job descriptions, no accountability, barely getting by to a pretty well-oiled machine with 27 people and, and so on and so on. But it's been 17 years of system structure and accountability, checklists and systems for everything that we do, structure around everything we do, metrics, job descriptions, and very strict accountability on expectations, on communication, on doing a P&L every month, doing a personal budget every month, turning that in, not just a, oh, Mike, you didn't do it this time. Oh, well, we'll try again next time. But serious fines and penalties if you don't do it. And I surrendered to that process, and it has changed my life. And so I did that for several years, and the opportunity presented itself for me to be a coach with this company, and I got involved in the coaching as a, as a coach. So I get to do the same thing, give that gift that was given to me, and I still get fussed at by Rick and his partner, Todd, and my boss, Kendra, because I'm accountable to them every month on these calls and making sure I turn in all this paperwork and forms and do all the things I'm supposed to do, and then I coach a bunch of other realtors along the same path. So, Dayton, if somebody's listening and they want to be part of this, how can they find out more about the coaching program? TheCoreTraining.com. V-E-H-E-C-O-R-E training.com is our website. It talks about Rita Casey, one of our founders. She was a big realtor in Orlando. Rick Ruby that owns the company. Todd Scream is a big mortgage guy in Sacramento, California. He's got a mortgage operation across the country. You can get bios on all the different coaches. We have about 45 coaches now, either loan officers or realtors. We are all producers. There's not anybody in this program that's going to tell you how hot shot they were 10 or 12 or 15 years ago or what an REO specialist they used to be or what a short sale specialist they used to be. We are all producing agents. We're all credible. We're all in the business. We're held to a very high standard on income and savings and giving to be coaches. And so part of our deal is you're only coached by somebody who's bigger than you. So if you're involved in the coaching program and you're a $10 million agent, and you're paying somebody who's a $2 million agent to give you a rah-rah speech, they're not going to be able to help you get to $20, $30, $40, $50 million because they've never been there. We're all there and all practitioners, so we can tell you about all the mistakes we made, and I got a long list of them, bad hires, the wrong hires, the wrong personal bus, all that stuff, and protect you and keep the bumpers up and keep you on the path to building a really good business that will set you up for a good retirement. Well, Dayton, what drives you? Oh, I'm super competitive, and I love what I do. And so there's a combination of, of pride and ego. And if I'm going to do this and get them to go to work every day, I really want to do well, and I want to take care of my people. And I don't ever want to embarrass myself or the people that I'm affiliated with. If you're kind enough to endorse me and refer me, I don't ever want to let you down. And so that means a lot to me. And so my family, my church, my universities, all that stuff, I feel like I, I'm, I'm a part of that and I don't ever want to disappoint. Dayton, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? One of our favorite books is Raving Fans. And rule number one in Raving Fans is know what you want. So I think for any agent that's in this business, they have to know what they want. Sit down and decide what their lifestyle will afford them. Do they have the spousal support it takes to be successful in real estate? Do they have the resources? What do they want their business to look like? That's number one. Don't, do you want to make it look like my business or somebody down the hall? What do you want your business to look like as a practitioner? And then rule number two is find out what the customer wants. And then rule number three is only work with people who want what you want. So the agent has to decide, do they want to be a $6 million, $10 million, $30 million agent? And what does that look like? And, and people will tell me all the time, oh, I want to be a $50 million agent. I say, great. What that looks like is a six-person team, 
fifty grand in overhead and all this other stuff. They go, oh, oh, oh I don't want to do that. And go, okay, well, that's not what you want. What do you want? Oh, I want to sell three houses a month and, and go to Lake every weekend. Cool. Let's talk about building that business, not some somebody else's dream. And so that's the number one thing is understand what it is you want as an agent, the time, the money, what you're willing to pour into it to invest in the business. And I think we all need a coach. We all need a boss. And whether it's, and there's any number, and I'm sure your, your company's affiliated with a bunch of them. There are any number of really great coaches out there. We're, we're high end, we're expensive, but we get the results. And so we are all about the accountability and the results and saving money. Well, Dayton, do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Oh, absolutely. It's like Success Magazine, specifically for realtors. And I think that's a fantastic gift that you're giving. And if you can put this on and get on your elliptical or go for a run or just sit in the car and listen to other producers that have got all the stars. And, and God knows I certainly have my hair. I've made as many mistakes as anybody in this business. I've just managed to survive long enough and, and, and hang in there that, that it worked out. But uh, to, that's how you learn. If you can really learn from your own mistakes or you can learn from other people's mistakes. And if you can, it's a lot cheaper to learn from other people's mistakes. Well, Dayton, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? I will tell you that I, again, as, as growing up as a kid, I didn't even know what a real estate agent was. And to have fallen into this business, I have been so fortunate. I love the people. I love the stories. There is no no limit to the amount of money you can make in this business. Now, there are no barriers to entry, so we are definitely in a commodity business. So if you do want to out-earn the competition, and if you want to get to a significant income, you're going to really have to bust your tail. It is, there's no two ways about it. There's no shortcuts. And so to consistently make 150, 200, 250,000, you got to really be dialed in on your database. You're going to have to have two or three people helping you run your practice. You got to be super intentional about it and really pay your dues to get to that point. But once you do, you can have a great business and you can have a great lifestyle and really enjoy all the abundance and all the gifts that we have. Well, Dayton, your strong work ethic combined with your Forrest Gump luck of being in the right place at the right time has paid big dividends. Your story of the retiring builder fixer agent who recommended that you take his place, then left you to figure it all out, is a great example. You caught a break, but you had to work hard to make it pay off. Your acute business instinct noticed fewer repeat transactions from your database. So, you pivoted and focused your attention on VIP referral partners who could each send you two to five referrals per year. Smart move. Those leveraged relationships with 250 professionals resulted in 300 closings last year. Your strategy of going deep instead of wide has paid off. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call. We talked to an agent who sold 200 homes worth $49 million by working his database. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward.
You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.